Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Louise Bedford here, bringing you another episode of Talking Trading. Look, if you are getting started in the market, all of this can seem a bit daunting. I know I have been there. I have been exactly where you are sitting right now. And you know the way that I think about it, sometimes we don't give ourselves room to grow. We can sense that it's going to be such a fantastic thing if we can just bridge between where we are now and the riches of the markets, but we don't scaffold our way in. You know, when you started dating, you were all all over the place, I bet you. There were very few people that were smooth and suave from the very beginning. I'll give you perhaps a couple of examples from my own dating territory. I, when I first was attracted to a guy called Brendan, I went fishing with him, our lines got crossed, our fishing lines got crossed, and I said to him, even our fishing lines are attracted to each other. Oh my God. Another date that I had, I actually stuck a straw up my nose by mistake. (laughs) I had an unfortunate situation where I leant forward and because I was making eye contact with my date, the straw went up my nose. Now, how elegant is that? So please just know, just as with dating, that it can be very much like that. You need to give yourself time to grow, people to associate with, who care for you, who can guide you in the right direction. And talking trading is a part of that. And a part of my role as Talking Trading host is to introduce you to inspiring guests. I have got Nell Sloan here for you. This is a very special treat. Nell and I have been circling around each other and I think it's because we have so much in common. I think the similarities are freaky and Nell and I haven't even discussed this, but have a listen to this. Firstly, both of us have our own trading businesses. Nels is CTG, Capital Trading Group, and mine is TG, TG and CTG, Trading Game. Oh my gosh, how bizarre is that? We both have a charity focus. So Nell has been a big volunteer in raising money for the American Cancer Society and the Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. And for me, it's Opportunity International, which is microfinancing. Both of us focus on educating our traders. We're both a mother of two. Nell has a marine and a finance major in college, and we both focus on risk management. So Nell, look, it's just like you're a sister from another trading mother. Welcome to the show. Can you give us an idea about your background? You manage your own firm. It's in the managed futures space. So can you tell us how you got started on this path? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you. 
for inviting me on. And uh, before we go into my background, I do have to ask this question. Did you have a second date with a straw man? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> you know, it was so unfortunate too. <laughs> he, there was an age difference and I was trying to be sophisticated and it was a beautiful Thai restaurant. And it was, it was just so clear that I had zero experience and he just owned all of the cards. So yeah, so that jump was very short lived. But look, you know, other than that, I think my dating life only improved from those two unfortunate experiences. That's all right. Um, all right. So briefly on my background, I, uh, years ago, if you wanted something, uh, you had to go out and get a job. And I used to be a babysitter as one form of ways to earn money. I cleaned house and I babysat and I'd feed cats and walk dogs and all that. But one of the roles I had in babysitting was for a very successful stockbroker. He lived in the Gold Coast in a Greystone mansion. And I remember he was married to a woman that was Swedish from Sweden and absolutely gorgeous and was an actress for commercials. So of course I'm in La La Land at the age of 16, but he had a lot of stock broke, uh, books in his house and he gave me free reign to read them, which I did. So I became a little bit obsessed with the whole idea of finance, you know, and all of that, I was inspired. And I did not live far from any of the exchanges. So I lived in the city of Chicago, close to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Chicago Board of Trade. And being at the right place, right time, right work ethic, I was offered an interview position with one of the top brokers in the industry. And I don't know, maybe I was 21, I, I was young. And uh, the interview was real boring in a way. It was just, he'd flat out ask me, I remember him asking me, do you know what pork bellies were? Because I'm thinking stocks, commodities. And I, and I was like, pork bellies, no idea. He goes, it's okay. <laughs> we'll teach you. So um, the prerequisite for the position wasn't extreme, okay? I didn't have to have a, you know, a real high ACT score. But I did have to have the right you know, ethics and, and the right desire to learn, like teachers, you know, and so forth. So um, from there, I, I worked for him for I don't know how many years, but we're going back when we didn't sit there and hit a button to get a chart pulled up. I had to manually draw on the high and the low and the opening and the close. And not just one month of a commodity, he picked like three months of the commodity. It took me hours to update everything manually, but I loved it. I mean, it was fast paced. It was interactive. Um, it was different every day. I was hooked. Because you, when you think you know it all, you don't. You're always being challenged, as you teach so often, on the emotional aspect of keeping yourself in, in accountable. You know, what did I do right? To, what did I do wrong? All that. But I, I was definitely hooked. I love the business. And to this day, I still do. Oh, look, me too. We've been trading about the same amount of time. It is so funny how many times I listen to one of your stories and I go, oh, I relate so much to that. <laughs> oh my goodness. And was it a big jump working for somebody else compared to getting into your own business? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have a cushion of you know, protection you feel like for the big firms you have. I mean, back then you have access to all the research you have their legal backing, you have, you know, it's just, it was cost effective to say the least, right? You're not responsible for dealing with 401ks and all that goes along with being an independent owner of a firm uh, and the stress that that it all entails. 
But, um, you know, we did what we did. I co-founded the company, Capital Trading Group, with Patrick Lafferty. And we founded the company back then originally because of one institutional client. So the inspiration to do so was we had a $13 million client that had all his money with one firm. And in efforts to accommodate him, he didn't want to have all his money with one firm. His attitude was like, that's like having all my money with one bank. So we didn't want to lose the business. So we founded the company. So we had the luxury and flexibility so that he could have access to different trading platforms, different uh, housing of, of clearing relationships, because they all have different requirements on you know the type of clients that they want to serve or have on their books, different margins. Uh, so he was the initiator on why we founded the firm. So you know, with, um, with that relationship, you had to go out from having the one main client to having multiple clients. So that's more of a marketing role. How did you go about that? So um, it's interesting because, and you know this, it's, it's networking, it's reputational wise, you could grow your business, right? And we had, his business grew. And as a result of that, other, he was a money manager. Uh, and as a result of that, others would inquire to him and he would refer them to us. But the services we provided him wasn't just about multitudes of relationships with clearing firms. We built out the infrastructure that he needed so that he could do what he does best or what he should do best, right, is trade. And we handled all the, you know, what we call trade allocation, uh, daily account reconciliation, so that his accounts could be spread out with all these firms, but we would grab the data and be able to give them a report that would be a customizable report. Um, and so word got around, you know, in a short time. And we did marketing. We went to events. I mean, back then, you could go one-on-one -on -one and meet with people uh, at events like um, heck, what, Money Show, Trading Expo. Those are events that many people have heard of. Uh, we used to do what's called CTA Expo. So we would attend these events in person and old-fashioned way of meeting people face-to-face. That's -face. what we did too. That's exactly what we did. Chris Tate, my business partner, and I. It's interesting we've both got a business partner as well that's a longer-term proposition. Um, it's, it's almost like a work marriage compared to a, a separate relationship. We went around to expos and we met so many people and it was such good grounding. I learned so much by asking people questions, almost like I'm learning by interviewing people on Talking Trading as well about things to avoid potholes not to step into and aspiration. You know, where do you want to end up? I think it's a wonderful way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get it right in the head, asking questions. I mean, I look back at where we are today and how many different directions we had to go, how many times our business had to pivot to still be where we are today because we would ask the questions. And that was the key. You know, knowing who your end client is, knowing what they're looking for, what they need, how you can bring value to them. That's critical. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in business anymore. Yeah, so true. And with the people that are traders for you, you would get to see their experiences too and gather data on them. I'm curious about translating that for our Talking Trading audience. So tell me about some of the grand success stories and some of the perhaps failures and why those occurred. I'd be really keen to hear your view. Great question. Um, so I think the biggest success story, and with that is also the biggest horrific story, um, 
the uh, one of the traders uh, built a significant book of assets and had a phenomenal track record. And as, as we know, there's no guarantee of future success. And he built a book in a short period of time. This is pre-08. Remember, we, you know, we, we didn't have the Fed engineer market conditions back then. People were seek, seriously seeking alternatives outside of just traditional stocks and bonds. And people gravitated to manage futures. His alternative asset class was attractive because it, at the time it had risk adjusted returns that people uh, were attracted to. And he continued with the disciplinary aspect of, of keeping risk mitigated, right? It was all about, you know, if I take a loss, which we all will, what's the timetable to recover from that? So we had this long history. He grew from, you know, 13 million in assets to 400 million to 500 million, uh, even higher than that, only to uh, have a horrific collapse in a real short period of time. And, uh, there's a lot of finger pointing on, on what transpired there. Uh, at the end of the day, I look at it and I think to myself, um, there's different, like you have an audience that's probably both retail and maybe investors that allocate to money managers. So there's a different element to trading. When you're a money manager, uh, you might have a different emotional attitude and, and sometimes your trading ability might be more challenged as your assets grow. So true. You know, I think it's just different uh, than if you're trading your own money. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's just a whole different element and there might be more pressure. It might be, you know, the, the reasons behind losses could be over trading. It could be uh, the failure to really manage the, it comes down to managing risk, managing the leverage component. It really does. I think people can sit there and get out of winning trades all day long. I think people, when they're in losing trades, they have a really hard time to pull the plug. That's my opinion. I'm not an expert at this, but you know the psychology behind it, I think that's what I tend to see on both retail side and sometimes the money manager side. That's what I see too. I see that ego come into play where people hang on to their losers because it's almost like once they're out, they have to admit to themselves that they have made an error. So if they just hang on in there, it's like they haven't crystallized their loss. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, so that parts, you know, the, 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 the fallout was that, you know, it takes years and, it, and he's not the only one. You could look at it, whether it's retail or institutional, they could take years to build a great record. And then something, either they hand the baton to others. It's like handing the car keys to someone else that you trust, but they still have to follow the speed limit. And, you know, maybe you followed the speed limit and that's why this track record has been built out the way it has, but then you decide to bring on other people and it does change the dynamics because even if it's a systemized trading, you still need a person to oversee it. You know, so and, true. Yeah. You know, the other thing I find is that sometimes through people's life stages, it's almost like they're different people as they age through the decades. And I do see some people get to their 50s and 60s and then mess up. And that's terrifying because you don't have enough time to rebuild that which you've built so far. It's almost like there's a pressure on them as they age to perform and people get crushed under that pressure. I'd be interested, have you seen that also? I can't, you know, it's interesting. I just finished reading a book and unfortunately it's in Florida. It's not here, so I grabbed the title. And the chapter in the book 
was talking about how um, entrepreneurs, uh, what's helped them build their business, they had a certain strength about them. But as we age, okay, and it's not about physical part, but there's a different part where the, what was once a strength of ours is no longer. And the people that continue that strength are the ones that usually pivot their careers to some degree. And it's real hard to do. We get comfortable where we are. We don't want to change, but we might not be that same uh, we're just not the same that we were with our strengths and we need to be able to, you know, pivot to some degree in our careers. I'm going to find the name of it because it's that chapter hits exactly what you're talking oh about. Oh my goodness. Do you know, this has just been something that's been going through my mind over the last few days. I've watched one of my non-trading friends take their superannuation, invested in a business, and that business failed. It was almost like all of the things that they had learned about, they threw out <laughs> as soon as they realized, hey, I've got a limited time to live here. It's, it's a pressure that I think is underestimated. What other pressures do you see on traders? Um. I think the challenge is we're in a noisier environment than we've ever been, right? I mean, going back 10 years, you didn't get hit with emails and texts and, and news media always constantly in your face. And even if you're trying to be disciplined, subliminally, however I say that word, <laughs> it influences your, your trading execution, right? And, and you might hesitate because you're thinking about something. And I read somewhere that one trader literally turns off everything. He doesn't allow people to call him or text him or anything. He's in the zone so that there's no outside influence. So if you're going to be a trader, I think you really truly have to, uh, you can't keep second guessing yourself. You have to go in with the plan. You know, I Google map this. This is where I am now. This is my starting point. Here's my end point. And if there's potholes, this is how I'm going to maneuver around them and always prepare for the worst. They go in with the thought of how am I going to make money? They need to go in with how can I lose money? Because yes. that's what sustains the success of a trader, is, is to be able to outlive the losses and recover from them. It's definitely something to consider. There's actually a technique called a pre-mortem, and I'm a big fan of this. I love this, and I'd be curious to hear your views now. What it is, is before you undertake a new venture, if whether it's a business or a relationship or whatever, realm in your life, what you do is you imagine yourself one year on. You imagine that you have been a total failure. It has just gone so badly, widespread destruction. So I'll give you an example. Talking trading, this has been going for eight years. It's so important to me that Caroline, my financial journalist, Caroline Stephen is looked after, Chris Tate, my business partner is looked after. Before we kicked off talking trading, we sat down and we said, imagine one year on, we hate each other's guts, we've lost all of our money and there's just, oh my goodness, fire coming out of our ears every time we think of it because it's just so painful and we're angry. What caused that? Working backward from that devastating conclusion in our minds, what caused that? And we wrote down all of the possible pitfalls that could have gone into that devastating consequence. And because we had them down on paper, we were able to action plan around that and find ways to avoid those 
things happening. And as a result, none of that's happened. Our friendships are stronger than ever. We work really well in terms of being flexible with each other. We have got a beautiful talking trading community that I just love and it lights me up that as a passion project, what more can you ask? So by doing that pre-mortem, I think that can really help. Have you been able to do that in your business and with your traders to look ahead and to avoid pitfalls? I think that we, some, some people don't know the emotional part of trading or where they fit into that until they're actually trading. And simulated trading isn't the same as trading your own money. And yes, you should start off with paper trading, but it's totally different until you put real money into trading. And there are micro contracts that the exchange offers now. So we always encourage people start with the least amount that you can to kind of slowly and methodically build yourself up. But you have to keep a journal, like you said, you got to have uh, accountability. And, um, you know, there's not always an answer for the losses. It's about what can I have done differently? Um, is there something I missed that I, I should have, you know, seen, but it really comes down to risk control more than anything. You know, yeah. the success trades can happen, but you won't have any money if you don't start acknowledging uh, the responsibility of the losses first. So as a listener of Talking Trading, think about what Nell is teaching us here, because there are similarities, so many similarities with my views and with Chris Tate's views. You're looking at worst case scenarios, you're looking at risk management, you're trying to plan for the best, but also plan for the worst. So reality is likely to be somewhere in the middle. Often when I've got a big decision, I think, what's the most likely and then what's the best case and what's the worst case? Because you most likely will be more informed if you plan for the best and the worst. So now if you could give some advice to our traders who are starting off, what would you say to them? For a beginner trader, I think for a beginner trader, um, you start with trade a trading journal. You start with a plan just as you plan a vacation and what you want to do like a Disney World plan. You don't just go to Disney World without mapping out everything of what you're going to do and how long it's going to take you to wait in line. You want to map everything out. You want to know you have genuine risk funds, uh, money that, you know, is money you could afford to lose. So the emotional tie to your trading decisions that is going to be overwhelming. And you have to find what your style of trading is that's a fit for you because not every style of trading is a fit for the traders. Some like trend trading, some traders will like utilizing just Fibonacci and you know cycles of the markets. Some like seasonalities, some are more fundamentalist. You know, there's so many avenues, option strategists, but you gotta know what kind of trader you are and the style that fits for you first. So you're gonna go through a lot of trials and tribulations before you determine what you're most comfortable with um, and, and then from there, you, you do simulated trading, you do paper trading, platforms offer that, we offer that. And you hire coaches, you know, and, and you invest in yourself to be a better trader. So you hire the teachers and educators like yourself to help you to walk you through that journey that it takes before you get to where you ultimately want to be. That's a beautiful answer. If you could have had your time over again, what would you have done differently? Uh, if I could have had what? 
if you could have had your time over again as a trader and as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, would you have changed anything? You know, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would because where I'm at today, we, we're not the same firm we were when we started. So when we first started, it was a business that was founded to serve those that were money managers so that we could provide all the administration, you know, the brokerage side and let them just trade. But when I, what I've noticed was assets flowing into alternatives. Once we've had this bull market after, you know, Fed engineered market just kept going straight up. Why would anybody look for anything else just by stock, by Mimi stocks? I mean, it was like, you know, people just bought the stocks and they would go up. So what we did was we pivoted our business um, 2016 or 2015, I want to say, and started looking at cl uh, retail clients that wanted teachers, educators. They wanted to be taught how to trade. They wanted subscription-based services. They wanted signals. And our business grew from there because we were asking, like you mentioned earlier, asking questions. What do you want? What do you need? How can we be valuable and meaningful to you? And how can we sustain this relationship by doing so? So I don't know if I would have made really any significant changes because we've made them based on the client's needs. So we've been fortunate and blessed to where we are. That is fantastic to hear. I think that in itself, we can always go back and have some regrets that things didn't go faster, didn't go more smoothly, but often the things that go wrong are actually creating the best memories and having the best lessons. So it's wonderful that you've been able to get to this point. I'm really curious about how you think this impact has affected other areas of your life. Now, to me, because I've seen you in action and I have seen what a professional you are, it's hard for me to believe that this wasn't just the way you were born. I'm not sure. Maybe it was. <laughs> Do you feel you've had to learn along the way? And have you been able to apply the things that you've learned in the markets to other areas of your life? Well, like I said, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? So I was not a good balancer. Uh, you know, you have a personal life and a business life. And I've always given presidents or priority over the business. You know, I was self-motivated. Uh, I love the business to a fault. So uh, in a way, I wish COVID would have happened when I was a mom earlier on when the kids were littler because I worked a lot of hours. You know, we had all pairs. But... Um, you know, it's, we make choices and we have to accept the choices we make. So uh, you asked me earlier about what business changes I would have made. I think personally, I would have balanced things more. I wouldn't have worked as much as I did, um, maybe sacrificing some of the degree of success, but I would have spent more time probably old fashionedly and been more at home <laughs> because I was working till eight at night. I was just working a lot. Yeah, it. I hear you. Although the research does suggest now that 
women who have a very active career outside of their homemaking duties, they end up with kids who are more resilient, more independent, more self-reliant, and that they share the chores in the home more equally. So I know it's always tempting to think that we've got that little house on the prairie type of view about what a mum should be, but I think we are moving into a different direction here and the benefits of what you and I are achieving have to also be taken into account for that next generation. I mean, your kids sound amazing. Maybe you could give us an idea about some of the money scripts that you've been able to impart so that your concept of money and your abundant mentality has been able to translate to your children. What sort of things about money did you talk about with your kids? So it's funny because um, I just had this discussion with my uh, youngest, Travis, Sunday when he came over and we did an outdoor grill and we were talking about it. And he works for um, Fidelity, which is like my favorite company ever. Uh, as you know, the CEO is a woman and, and, and they've, they've been very ahead of the curve in, in being receptive on crypto and so forth. Uh, but we had this discussion and... I was asking him, you know, what inspired you to get into the business? I mean, I know I've always been in the financial business and he liked the freedom that it provided. Um, he always liked math. He's really good at math. But he, he said he distinctly remembers in 08 <laughs> when the market crashed and he was not going to get the things he wanted for his birthday because his birthday is in October. <laughs> and he wasn't going to get all these things that he expected to get in October because of the market conditions. So he was driven by that, that he would never allow, you know, uh, vulnerability <laughs> for his future. I said, really? I don't remember that. <laughs> but apparently I said something that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to get whatever back then. His Game Boy, I don't know, whatever. whatever it was important. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's interesting too, because we don't really know what our kids' priorities are completely. You know, one of, one of my daughters... I always said to them that they're very into fashion. I said, look, I'll provide a target level of payment for you, but then you have to earn the designer level, the difference between the target level and the designer level. Now, I think that can work really well so that we're not just providing everything for our kids, but we're keeping them a bit hungry. I like that. I like to keep my kids a little bit hungry so that they can strive. Yeah. It was October of 08. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I admire him because he's very frugal. He's, he's, you know, he's very um, conscientious uh of the finances, you know, he just, he's very smart that way. And he loves people and he's very honest, extremely honest. Uh, and he, he loves his clients, you know, and he puts his clients first and all that stuff. So I, I hope he got that from his mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then your other child is a Marine. Correct. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, when we were talking earlier about COVID, it's, it's very difficult because, um, I think some people took that much harder than others during this lockdown. So, you know, it's, it's just a very difficult, um, situation for some, you know, they're, they're opposites, you know, uh, 
it's interesting because you have two children. Yeah. Right. Two daughters. And yet they were raised the same way, but they're just different kids. Travis was always very self-motivated and his, you know, older brother just kind of like struggled a lot, you know, and COVID didn't help matters at all. You know, when you're in lockdown, you can't interact with your friends and so forth, but very good spirits. They both have huge, huge hearts, you know, yeah. and that's, that's what's so important. Very good souls. I'm very blessed. That is beautiful. And I agree. My kids really responded in different ways to lockdown as well. I think from the youngest point of view, she lacked a lot of that friendship group around her and she became much more introverted and with my eldest my eldest was actually born as a male but now is using the pronouns her and she and is trans and i do think lockdowns do have that way of making you examine where you're at and really forcing your hand in some particular areas. So I'm really happy for Ryan that she's decided to move in this direction. But I think it was somewhat prompted by the psychological differences between pre-COVID and post-COVID life. Oh yeah, it's just different. You know, yeah. plus the hard thing is when you're a kid today, you know, you're, you're seeing things from Facebook and, and you know, when I was in high school, you're at home. You're not knowing, oh, you're, you weren't invited to a party or this and that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. today, you know, th these things are happening to these children. Your, your self-esteem is already challenged, but then it makes it worse with the social media. It's so and true. So think about the money scripts that you are looking to convey to your children. Realize that it's not just to do with the things that you input. It's also the things that they experience and that they hear at the top of the stairs. The communication between you and if you have a spouse, your spouse. They're taking in all of those lessons and you're creating their future by your actions. So as parents or even as aunts as uncles as people in a power position in a child's life we have a duty to do well we have a duty to think abundantly to think about our own direction but think about the reflection that we are creating for the people following us and i do think that that is probably one of the reasons why you and I like to nurture our traders and the people that we work with as well, because we have got some of those lessons from motherhood that translate directly into our businesses also, which is lovely to see. Now, Nell, what do you wish I had have asked you in this interview? What do I what? What do you wish that I had have asked you in this interview? Is there a question that you wish I had have asked you? How can we be a valuable, how can we be a valuable asset to the listeners to you? So that question you didn't ask, but I could answer. I would love you to answer that question. <laughs> Absolutely. Because everybody's time, we all have this limited commodity, right? So the fact that people are listening and still listening, you know, it's, you know, what can we offer them for the time that they've taken out of their busy day? And hopefully then the treadmill listening, you know, working out at the same time. But, you know, we're a brokerage firm and we provide multitudes of different trading platforms. Um, no platforms equal, just like no traders 100% the type, you know, like we talked about. So we'd like to align them with the platform that fits their needs. We'd like to be competitive on our rates. 
uh, we'd like to share with them, um, you know, systems that they could consider subscribing to. We put our own money in a lot of the things that we, we align ourselves with too. Uh, you know, and I think that's, those are all important. And tell us what they're looking for, you know, how we can be of help. They already know they're getting phenomenal help from you on the coaching side, you know, but then they might need various platforms and, and uh, access to more competitive rates, whatever it might be. I mean, we're not a deep, deep discount firm. That's not our, our we're still old school. We still believe in relationships where they can reach out to us and have a human being pick up the phone. Whoa, I don't know what to do. Someone picked up. <laughs> so. Absolutely. But I think there's room here. You know, I find it interesting how some people ask me, why do you introduce people that could be considered a competitor to your clients? I don't actually consider you a competitor. I consider you to be complementary with the services that you offer and that we have got a lot of similarities and that it's important to look for those similarities to apply to your own trading. There shouldn't just be one fountain of knowledge here, one source. You should be able to be prepared to spread yourself and look for other avenues to find other people that can appeal. And Nell is one of those people. I mean, that the fact that we've got so many things that I relate with here now, I'm sure our listeners are definitely relating with what you're saying. I love that you've been able to be a female in a male-dominated industry. I was going to ask you about that, but you know what? Is I'm not going to because why are we drawing attention to our differences instead of looking for how we've been able to compete in this world, not just this male-dominated world? So no, I'm not going to go in that direction. No. <laughs> I love that you've been able to have the forthrightness to be able to see through a goal long term and that you've got that open heart that you've been able to welcome people in and you rely on you being that well of care for people and I really relate with that. Now now if our people would like to get in touch with you I need to have some more information from you. Where do they go? How do they find you? And what can you do to help people set up in the Nell Sloan way of thinking? Thank you again. And thank you so much for having me on. And, and listeners, thank you for listening. Um, so you could email me or call me. So the email is nsloan, S-L-O-A-N-E, at ctgtrading.com. And my toll-free line is 800-238-2610. And that will work from anywhere in the world. Excellent. And your website? Our website is uh, www.ctgtrading.com. So ctgtrading.com. Fantastic. You know what? I'd even suggest go and have a look around. Really go into that website, ctgtrading.com. See what Nell offers. Get a bit of an idea about what is out there because I think really we don't do enough investigation as professionals in any field, you would be considered really ignorant if you didn't do continuous professional development. Yet when we're a trader from home, we think, hey, we should know it all. Why refer to a professional? Certainly the wrong attitude there. So definitely check out Nell's website. Nell, is there anything else you'd like to add before we conclude? You're wonderful. Thank you. You just have so much heart and soul and I really appreciate the invite and the opportunity to talk to you like this. 
Wonderful. And you've also got a podcast now. You haven't talked about your podcast. Uh, yes, it's the Managed Futures podcast. Um, I am entertaining and I'd love to hear from your listeners on this one where I can uh, launch a second podcast that focuses in, on services that you provide, for example, you know, so that, you know, it's, it's a crowded space. There's not that many that I would consider to be outstanding, you know, where people are really genuine and doing, they're aligned with their, their interest to serve those like you're like you, what you do. So I'm contemplating doing something like that. So the album would be different than Managed Futures. But yes, we do a Managed Futures podcast where we interview these registered commodity trading advisors. Um, so people get to look behind the curtain. I mean, you can read disclosure documents all day, but do you really know? So hearing the voice, hearing how they talk, their personal life, I think that all comes into play, you know, in, in helping make decisions. Absolutely. I'm going to include links to all of this in the show notes. So don't worry if you're driving along and you haven't had a chance to write it down, refer to this show so that you can see those links. This is also appearing on our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this as an audio, just know that we have youtube.com forward slash trading game as the channel for being able to watch the videos, which is fantastic, especially because sometimes we're putting up charts. It's very hard to describe a chart over audio. So that YouTube channel is for you. So now thank you so much for your time. I've loved interacting with you. You are the master networker. I appreciate all of the introductions to all of the people that you've made for me. And really, I wish you the best of luck in the future. I can tell the future is bright and your trajectory is straight up like a beautiful trend in a share chart. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Good, good. So join us next week. We have got more episodes coming up on talkingtrading.com.au for you. We love bringing you these episodes and I especially love reading our reviews on both the Google site to be able to do a review about tradinggame.com.au and on Apple Podcasts for Talking Trading. Fantastic having you here and I hope you have a wonderful week and that you trade effectively and follow your trading plan. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.